When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show here on the internet. This is your host, as always, for Movie Lovers Tonight, John DeGorio. For today's podcast, I'm going to be doing my 31 Days of Horror. Now, I didn't do a 31 Days of Horror yesterday or anything like that. As a matter of fact, I didn't even do a podcast yesterday. So I'm combining Day 19 and 18 together to make one giant 31 Days of Horror podcast episode. And for the two movies that I actually chose for, t- for today is the movie Lights Out. And the other movie is An American Werewolf in London. This is actually the 1971 version and not the 1993 or 94 version of American Werewolf in Paris. So, I'm going to be doing a review on that. Then, I'm going to be following it up with my Movie Lovers Rewind. These are the movies that I'm going to be talking about that's turning 10 and 20 years old. I touched base on it a little bit on my page where I dropped a lot of movies that are actually turning 10 and 20. I picked one movie of each of those to talk about. Because I really don't have that much uh, to say about some of the movies that actually turned 10 and 20 for this month. And everything other than maybe two movies. But I do remember certain movies actually being out during that time. And I'm going to touch a little bit on that. But not that much that I'm going to talk about with Fight Club and Law Abiding Citizen. Those are the two movies I'm going to be talking about because those are the two standouts for me because I actually enjoy those films. And so those are going to be movies that I'm going to be talking about. Then I'm going to move on over to, is it too late for Matrix 4? Is it too late for them to make a Matrix 4? Is the hype still there? And it, am I excited for a Matrix 4 uh, sequel? Then I'm going to talk about Edge of Tomorrow. That's right. They're actually talking about doing an Edge of Tomorrow right after they go on ahead and do another Mission Impossible movie. So I'm going to be talking about that. And then I had a fan that actually wrote into the page and everything. So I'm going to be doing some, answering some questions from his stuff. So I hope that you stick around and enjoy what I have to say. So without further ado, let's go on ahead and get into Lights Out. So, Lights Out is based off of a short film by David Sandberg and back in 2013. With the creative buzz of the short film, New Line decided that it was worth a shot making it a feature-length film. Although at the, bu- the budget was only $4.9 million and made $148.9 million at the box office, the plot when Rebecca, played by Teresa Palmer, left home, she thought that her childhood fears were behind her. As a young girl growing up, she was never really sure what was real when the lights went out and when they were off. Her little brother, Martin, played by Gabriel Bateman, is being haunted by the same thing. So, the, the premise is pretty simple. You turn the lights off, you see dark shadows and stuff like that. Things that go creepy at the, in the night and everything. And that's pretty much what this film is about. You turn the lights on, light on, there's nothing there, you're safe, you're good to go. 
you turn the lights off, you see creepy stuff and things like that. And I'm going to have to tell you this. The start of this film, whenever you see this taking place in a warehouse, and this guy is there by himself, and you see this mannequin that's there, and he shuts the light off. And then all of a sudden... It seems like the mannequin is actually moving, and he and he turns it turns the light on, and there's nothing there. But the mannequin is like moving step by step with the light as he keeps on turning it off and on. But there is a dark shadow in the in the distance and everything as well that's moving this mannequin when the lights are off. And let me just tell you, there's just something creepy. There's just something that actually makes your skin crawl with this thing. And I'm going to tell you this. I saw this movie twice. I saw this movie once at the theaters, and then after that, I rented it at Redbox. And this movie is only clocks in at like an hour and some more minutes, and that's all you need for this movie. It's a very simple premise. It's very good. And only that, but I'm just going to tell you this too. Some of the acting is a little bit paint-by-the-numbers type of thing where you have like one-dimensional characters. There's no layers of the characters or anything like that. But... They do take their stuff serious. They do know what they're, this, what kind of movie that they want to make out of this movie. And I also like the fact there's a creepiness about it when your lights go off. There's just something there that creeps during the night. And will it attack you? Will it not attack you? You just don't know. And then it makes you crawl up in bed with a flashlight trying to protect you. And... To me, I love that whole entire aspect because even as kids, we were always scared of the dark. We were always afraid of the boogeyman. We were always afraid that there was just something lurking in the shadows. And then when we turn on the light, there's just nothing there. And then we have that instant relief of that fear being gone from us. And like I said, that is a really cool premise. I love the premise of it. And they kept it simple. To the point where you don't have to worry about it being overcomplicated and stuff like that. Now, I do have to admit to one thing that might actually take you out of the movie a little bit. There's some things that they actually do in this film towards the end of it that just doesn't make any sense at all. Especially what what happens with the mother and stuff like that with the uh, two, the mother and daughter and stuff like that what they did with the mother mother's character there's just something about it that just didn't it just didn't grab me the way that I wanted it to grab me because of the fact that there's a certain element that they actually used in the film that actually took me out of it and I just didn't really care for it and in case you're wondering what it is or anything I'm not going to spoil it for you but it ends up being one of the things that I wish that they, they wouldn't have done because of the fact that they could have done so much more with that creepy character than what they did with it. And I just don't like that aspect of what they did towards the end of it. But the beginning, the middle half, and everything else, in the first two acts, it's really good. But once you get down to like the third and final act, it gets kind of stupid. But you might, you want, you'll wind up enjoying it anyways because you're going to be on the edge of your seat through the movie. But the whole whole entire premise is good. I enjoyed it. I even watched the short film first to actually get the feel of what the actual movie's gonna be. And I have to say, it is creepy. I don't blame New Line for wanting to put out this movie because it was really good. And I wish they would actually make a sequel to it because I think that they can actually do things a little bit better than what they did in the original movie. But, you know, 
with a, to me, I think it's impressive with a 4.9 million, it may, it's only a 4.9 million budget and it made 148.9 million. To me, that's a pretty good chunk of change. If you're a studio head, you're going to be very happy with the fact that this is actually uh, what this movie made, especially with it being a small budget. But the movie itself is good. I enjoyed it. I saw it twice. Let me know what you guys think of Lights Out. So, then there's also uh, this movie that I'm going to be reviewing now. is in, in 1971, An American Werewolf in London. Now, we have these two characters. It's very simple, too. This is also another simple pr- premise. You have these two characters that are hiking through London and everything. And one of the characters gets attacked by the werewolf. And the other character dies, named Jack, dies in the in the where the werewolf winds up killing him. Well, let me just tell you this: the transformation of the werewolf for the practical effects during its time, and it still holds up. I still believe those effects still hold up today, to where it can actually make your skin crawl, to where you can actually have that goosebump-like kind of flavor to it, and also too. When you see Jack all mangled up and everything, whenever you see the other character seeing his ghost, it is a very uncomfortable feeling. And it's also one of those things where you wish that they wish that Jack would just go away because of the way they actually did the makeup. The special effects were really good. I really loved the cinematography with what they did with the werewolf. Like I said, during that time before CGI, practical effects were really were the best way to go about it. And this is hands down one of my favorite horror films and everything. When you're dealing with like old school special effects, the camera angles are really good. Everything just matched up very well, very well put together. I liked it. And you know what? I'm not even going to go in through this whole entire thing. It's a classic. I think that you guys should check out this movie because of the fact of how classic it is and the chemistry between Jack and the, and his friend is just really good. I have nothing else but to praise it and actually say that this is actually one of my favorite movies to watch during Halloween or even before Halloween or any other time of the year because of the fact that it's about friendship. It's about trying to figure out how what you're going to do with this problem that you have when you're turning into a werewolf and how are you going to able to turn to be able to turn back into the, your own human form without turning into a werewolf anymore? And how are you going to be able to take down the main baddie who turned you into a werewolf and killed your friend so you can lift the curse? And by the end of this film, you're going to wind up loving every single minute of it. I think you're going to love it. So, with further ado, let's go on ahead and talk about the movie Lovers Rewind. Now, the movies that are turning... Uh, 10 years old today is the movie Stepfather, Where the Wild Things Are, and Law Abiding Citizen. Now, I saw Stepfather. Stepfather was a pretty decent suspense movie and stuff like that during its time, during its run. And, you know, if you know anything about films whenever it's dealing with Stepfather, Stepmother, or anything like that, you already know what the premise is going to be. Either they're going to take on somebody else's identity to pretend that they're actually this nice guy when they're really not that guy. And also, too, then that's not going to be their real name. It's kind of like a Lifetime type of movie where, you know, you know this guy is bad, 
but you know you're wondering when this woman is actually going to figure out hey look that dude is not who he says he is and you need to do something about it and the like i said the premise is very simple as well because of the fact that we already know the fact that the the guy who plays the stepfather is not all nice and fun and games like he's portrayed to be he takes on takes takes on somebody else's identity he winds up marrying another person he kills every single person that he comes in contact with when he marries that person so you know like i said it's not one of those movies where i can actually say that i enjoy it but it's okay for a one-time view if you're looking for nothing's on tv or anything like that and you want to pop in a disc and see stepfather i recommend it for a little spence a little thriller but there's just nothing there for me to actually no meat on the bone for me to go ahead any with any further on this whole entire thing with stepfather now the next movie that turned 10 years old was Where the Wild Things Are. Now, I remember as a kid and reading this book. And this book just didn't do much for me. I remember reading it. I remember listening to the book on tape. And it just didn't grab me. It just didn't do anything for me as a kid. And I just didn't like the character of Max. I didn't care about any of the creatures. I didn't care about anything to do with it now i didn't see the movie with james gandolfini but i got the idea of the fact that you know it didn't touch base on this in this in the whole entire in the book but in the movie you're dealing with a husband who's dealing with who's dealing with alcohol abuse and everything else abusing his wife and max's escape is through the, the wild things and i like the fact that they used a sense of escape to where he can actually have like a, his own little world and these monsters are pretty much his family in a sense and James Gandolfini is in it but for me personally I like that spin on it but it didn't, didn't sell me enough to want to go see this in the theater and not only that but the children's book just didn't grab me I don't know what it is I just didn't care for where the wild things are I don't know why I didn't like it as a kid, I even tried reading it present day just to see if I was going to like it. And all movies, all books, and everything else is, a, is subjective. But that was just not my cup of tea. If you guys like Where the Wild Things Are, that's great. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't, should or shouldn't like the movie. But that's just me. I just didn't like it. So, let further ado, the movie that I'm going to talk about is Law Abiding Citizen. Clive Shelton, Gerard Butler... It's a family man until his wife and daughter are murdered in a home invasion. After the invasion, he hopes to find justice in the court. But a rising prosecutor named Jack Rice, Jamie Foxx, cuts a deal with one of the killers for an exchange for testimony. Ten years later, Clyde goes on a revenge mission to take out anyone involved while he's also in jail. That's right. Clyde is in jail and he's still killing people, getting revenge on the uh, corrupt people that actually let those murderers go. And I love this movie. This movie I actually own on Blu-ray. I, I cannot tell you how many times I actually watched it. My favorite part in that whole entire thing is when the judge is on the phone and all of a sudden the the phone blows up in her ear and everything and she winds up dying. I mean, that I was not even expecting that. My mouth felt open and I couldn't help but laugh. I, I know, I have a dark humor, but I couldn't help but laugh 
and that one scene because of the way it happened, the way it went down. And then you have Nick goes over into the cell. He goes, how did you do that? Why did you do that? You, you know you're not supposed to. Why are you killing these people? Nick, Nick, you need to just shut up. You know why he's killing people and everything. Because look what you did and everything. And then not only that, but the way he also does another thing too. Yeah, he does get captured. Like I, I forgot to tell you about that part. He does get captured. And he does get put in jail after killing the murderer that killed his wife and daughter. But he gets put in jail for a reason. And that reason is to talk to Nick. And Nick's thinking he wants to negotiate and everything. But he's just having himself a blast. He ends up ordering a T-bone steak. And then this reminds me of a whole entire new thing. A whole new animal with Clyde. Because this reminds me of something that Hannibal Lecter would do. He winds up taking taking the bone and stabbing a police officer in the neck. In the bone. With the bone. And just stabbing him over and over and over again until he dies. And then he just goes back to eating or whatever and just laughing. And he also has some music on with his iPod that he actually asked them to actually bring in. And like I said, that's very Hannibal Lecter type of thing that happened in that whole entire scene. And that scene is just haunting and and also too... It is also one of those things that you can actually remember for the rest of your life because of that one scene with Rob Butler. Then it goes even further where in the uh, during a funeral, there's this big, huge machine gun killing everybody. And here's Clyde in the jail cell still killing people. And you don't know how he's doing it or anything like that. But he's doing it. He's getting stuff done. He's getting his whole entire revenge on the corrupt system of Philadelphia. And Jamie Foxx just doesn't know what to do. He does not know where to turn. He doesn't know how Clyde is even doing this. Or if if he's breaking out or what. But he's at his wit's end with Clyde. He wants him moved. He doesn't know what direction to go in. And stuff like that. And then there's an explosion. There's a bunch of other stuff that winds up happening. By the time you're done with this movie, you just have a big old huge relief because of the fact that it's over. But not in a bad way. But because of the fact that you experienced so much stuff that happened in this film where you're just exasperated. To the point where you're like, okay, I can finally let out some air. That was an intense movie. This movie was really good. The acting was really good in this movie. Gerard Butler played the, probably one of his best roles besides 300. And I really cannot say how much I love Law Abiding Citizen. And I love revenge type stories. And if you know any revenge type stories or anything like that, send that into the voicemail thing. I like to actually check out some revenge stories that you guys actually might like. But anyways, I'm going to talk about the movies that are turning 20 years old. And those movies are Fight Club, Three Kings, Mystery Alaska, Superstar, and American Beauty. Now, here's the thing. I haven't seen American Beauty. I've heard good things about it. It's 20 years old. I never got around to watching it. So, guess what? I'm going to be experiencing that for the first time because I'm actually recording that on my DVR. So, I'll probably wind up having a review for that sometime next week. So, stay tuned for that. But as far as Three Kings go, as far as Mystery Alaska and Superstar goes, I saw Mystery Alaska a long time ago. I never got a chance to actually rewatch the movie, but I do love the I do love hockey. I do love I do love that. I do love hockey. 
that's all I remember is a hockey movie. I can't, I don't know if I have a block or whatever, but that's all I remember. Then Superstar is with Tina Fey and all, all of them. And I'm just, and th- that movie is just not that great. I just can't get myself around that. It's a, based off of Saturday Night Live skit. And the only Saturday Night Live skit I liked is A Night of the Roxbury with Will Ferrell. And Will Ferrell's in this movie, but it just doesn't do anything t- to me to where I want to rewatch this movie again and relive that nightmare again of watching this movie. But Three Kings... That movie was really good. If you're into George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg movie, Marky Mark did a very good job in this movie. And so did George Clooney. And I think that you guys would actually enjoy Three Kings. But Fight Club is the most, is the standout for me. Because I remember in my grandmother's apartment, watching this movie for the very first time on VHS. That's right. I, I actually watched this on VHS. And, you know... One of my one of my brother's friends was like, hey, why don't you check this movie out? <clears throat> so I popped it in and everything. I'm listening to this guy being depressed about impressing his friends and stuff like that. I'm not sure where it's going, but it makes me want to watch even more just to see where this thing is actually going to go. And like I said, it's about a depressed man suffering from insomnia and he meets a stranger who's a soap salesman named Tyler Durgin, played by Brad Pitt, and soon finds himself living in his uh, squad house after his perfect apartment is destroyed. The two of them, two board men from an underground fight club with strict rules. They form a uh, fight club with strict rules. And you know what? As a matter of fact, I'm not even supposed to be talking about fight club, but here I am talking about fight club. <laughs> but this movie, when you watch it, and when it opens up to where Edward Norton is complaining about his nice apartment and depressing his friends and all this is just BS and everything else. It just doesn't mean anything. It's just temporary items and stuff like that. It don't really mean hell to beans or anything like that because none of this really matters. And he meets Tyler and Tyler winds up, Tyler and him wind up fighting. And they're like, hey, let's go on in and start a fight club. Okay, let's go on in and start a fight club. Next thing you know, the fight club becomes something more than just fighting. It becomes one of those things where it becomes like a heist type job. Meatloaf is in this movie, not the kind that you eat, but the singer Meatloaf is in this movie. And I really, I can't really say I can, I enjoy him in being in the movie, but I do enjoy his music. But the chemistry between Brad Pitt and Edward Norton is really something to watch because that was some magic that they did in that movie. Where you can actually feel like the connection is actually working. And the, um, then you also have Tim Burton's wife in there. That plays the love interest of Edward Norton. And then you have Tyler Durgent. Fighting over uh, Blue Mc- uh, Carter. All I remember is her last name is Carter. I cannot pronounce her last name. Sometimes I'm horrible with pronouncing certain names. Uh, Blenda Carter I believe. But anyways. They fight over her. To get into a disagreement with her about her and everything. And then the twist at the end is just unbelievable because you don't see that coming. You're wondering where did that come from? And I'm going to tell you this. Fight Club is one of my favorite. This is actually one of my other favorite movies aside from Law Abiding Citizen. And Fight Club was something unique, something different, something that we haven't seen before or experienced before. And the magic between these two actors were really good. 
And I wish that they would actually make more movies together because I think that they can actually do a lot more magic together when they're actually on the screen. Edward Norton is actually one of my favorite actors. And Edward Norton is actually is real is a really good actor. But anyways, if you guys like Fight Club, let me know. I'd like to actually know. And if you like Law Abiding Citizens, send me a message as well. Let me know if you like that movie. But now I'm going to get into this whole entire thing. Is it too late for Matrix 4? Now, it's been 20 years since the first one and 16 years since the last Matrix movie. Neil Patrick Harris is going to be in this movie. Jada Pickett-Smith is in this movie. Keanu Reeves is in this movie. And Carrie Ann Moss is going to be in this movie. No plot details as of right now on what this movie is going to be about. But I think it would be cool if it was like a resurrection type of deal where Neo uh, winds up being resurrected or some, something on those lines. Or it's just a separate uh, or it's going to be a reboot or something like that, which I hope they don't reboot it. But I don't see any other way to go about it unless Neo becomes resurrected and creates a way for Trinity to become alive again. That would be the only way that I could actually see it maybe working without it actually having to reboot the whole movie. But I'm just a guy talking on a podcast and just speculating on what I think that could actually happen. Now, as for it being too late, at first I wasn't sure what to think about this. I'm like, don't get me wrong. I love Keanu Reeves. I love Neil Patrick Harris. I love all. I love the Matrix movies, and I was I let it mar- marinate for a while. And I'm like, you know what? Why not? Let there be another Matrix movie, because I love the first two Matrix movies. The third one, not so much. I can like aspects of it, but I just don't like it as a whole. I liked part two a little bit better because of the fact I like the two albino twins that are in this in the movie and also liked a lot of the fight scenes in the movie as well but as for the third movie I felt like it kind of fell apart a little bit but the first two were the strongest and everything that's that's how I look at I look at Matrix Reloaded is just as good as the very first Matrix movie but I'm excited. I'm excited to see what Jada Pickett Smith's gonna do. And another thing is too, it's been t- years since these char- these actors have actually reprised their roles, and they're still passionate about their characters even today. So that makes me even more excited to say that I want to see another Matrix movie because of the fact that their excitement level is so high and they're passionate about those characters because it's very rare that we actually see actors and actresses still excited other than Jamie Lee Curtis who's going to be in another two new Halloween movies but it's very rare to see actors group of actors that get along so well and miss certain characters to where they're like you know what let's go back and see if we can actually re- redo this whole entire magic all over again and we can still have that fire like we did when we first did this movie with these characters so, there's that little aspect to it that I actually liked and cared for. So, I'm excited for a Matrix 4. I think it's going to be fantastic. I think it's going to be really good. I'm hoping it is anyways. But, um, the Wachowskis, they made some good movies before and they made some bad ones. But, Matrix is always going to be one of my favorite movies of 1999. And, it's still going to be, even though some of the CGI might be a little dated or whatever, but it's... I still watch that movie every single time it comes on TV. I actually own it on DVD. 
But, hey, if you like the Matrix movies, let me know. I'd like to actually see what you guys think of the Matrix. But, I'm going to go on ahead and get into Edge of Tomorrow a little bit. Now, it was announced that Simon Kinberg, I believe, said that there's going to be another Edge of Tomorrow movie. But it's going to be after they make another Mission Impossible Impossible movie. And I cannot wait for Edge of Tomorrow Part 2. Or if you want to call it uh, All You Need Is Kill. Because that's actually gonna, that was actually the original name before they actually changed the name to Edge of Tomorrow. Then whenever Blu-ray got released, it changed it. Uh, Live, Die, and Repeat Edge of Tomorrow. They don't even know what to even call this movie. But it was poorly marketed. And by the time Word of Mouth got around saying that this movie was good, it was off of the movie theaters altogether. I remember going to see the very first Edge of Tomorrow movie with a girl I was dating at the time, and she was going to pay for it. And I'm like, all right, I just hope this movie's good because I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise fan because he's always, I'm a tough, I'm a tough macho guy. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to defuse some bombs. I'm going to do what I have to do and everything. I'm like, I'm hoping, and then I'm like, please please let this be good. I do not want to tell her that this movie sucked. But I went in there with low, low, low expectations and came out being wowed by this film. And it's even based off of a graphic novel. But what I loved about it was the fact that Tom Cruise was not playing the typical Tom Cruise lead character. He's playing a wimp who is actually someone that sells weapons to the military. And the military... Uh, general tells him, look, you need to go out there with your own military stuff that you've been selling us, and you have to fight these aliens. And seeing him be a wimp for the very first time on screen since God knows how long was something new to me, something fresh that I haven't seen from Tom Cruise. And he actually brought his A-game with that movie. And this movie was one of those movies that was an original idea before Happy Death Day, before that movie came about and they made it into a sci-fi groundhog day where you got to keep repeating the same day over and over and over again until he's into basic training until he becomes the soldier that everybody wants him to become so we can take down these aliens but it even explains why he's repeating the same day over and over and over again rather than just let it be one of those things where okay he's repeating the same day over again nobody's even noticing but it goes into, and I like how they explained it. They explained why he was go- going in there, repeating the same day over and over again. I love that aspect. And Edge of Tomorrow is still one of my favorite Tom Cruise movies with Emily Blunt. I love Emily Blunt. I like Quiet Place. I love what she's done. I love her as an actress. The chemistry between her and Tom Cruise was really spot on. And you're wondering, too, if these two actors and actresses are actually going to make it out of this movie alive. And, like I said, this is a, that was a whole new take during that time that we actually have a sci-fi-based movie revolving around a Groundhog's Day type of thing going on because we didn't have that before. And now it's been changed into groundhog's day meets horror where you have happy death day where you have this one girl repeating the same day over and over again on her birthday then she winds up getting killed over and over and over again and then they have happy death day part two which i didn't see i only saw part one but 
I didn't really care for that concept. I always, I'm, I liked Edge of Tomorrow. Hands down, one of my favorite horror movies. Not of all time, but it's in there with all the other sci-fi movies that I actually liked. Sci-fi fantasy, sci-fi itself. It's one of my favorite movies. But anyways, I'm going to go on ahead and talk about some questions that one of my fans wrote in and everything. His name is Rashid. Rashid writes, is Jordan Peele the next master of horror? Now, I think it's a little too soon to call him that. And plus, remember last time when we called somebody the master of horror was M. Night Shamanai. And the Shamhammer is what I used to call him. And I don't want to call somebody the master of horror whenever he only directed two films, wrote and directed two films. One film he actually got a positive review on all across the board with Get Out. Then the movie Us came out, mixed reviews, not that well received from audiences and also on the merger with uh, my critics as well. And I can't really put him on there on that list until I see more movies that he actually does. And also, too, he's remaking the new Candyman movie. So I'm excited for the remake of Candyman. So if he winds up doing more movies over a period of time, I can actually go in and analyze it better. But for me to say he's the master of horror is a little too soon. He's only done two films on it under his belt. It's, and I also don't want to be like M. Night Shyamalan, where he's like, where people are like, well, he's the new master of horror. And all of a sudden, the person gets a big head because he's always, he thinks that he can actually do anything because he has this big head now going, I'm the master of horror. I can do just about anything I want to do. And screw whatever the studio wants me to do or whatever because I'm the master of horror. Nah. Chill out. Jordan Peele is still not the master of horror. I still say Wes Craven still holds that mantle as of right now. James Wan is also second on that list. <coughs> Excuse me. Especially after what he's done with the Conjuring franchise and stuff like that. Even John Carpenter's on that list too on the mantle. But as for my top three or top five directors, that's for another day. I actually did that a little bit out of the order that I would actually put them in. But... Jordan Peele's not even on that list yet. He's got a lot more work to do for him to be on that mantle. But hopefully sometime in the future, maybe he might actually be on that mantle. But for right now, no. And Rashid also asked, will we get more than just Deadpool for R-rated comic book movies? Now, what works for Deadpool is the fact that he is the merc with the mouth. Disney knows this. He's the merc with the mouth. Making the, that character rated R fits his character. Making a movie for the sake of being rated R does not make a movie good. And the reason why Logan worked so well wasn't because of the fact that it was a rated R movie. It was because it benefited that character because he's a rated R type of character. And that's what made the movie work because of the fact they understood those characters. They understood where they actually came from. And because they actually understood where they came from... That's why they were successful, especially with the writing and the stunts and everything else that they were able to able to do with Logan and Deadpool. And I think that if Deadpool is actually successful with Disney now that uh, Fox is no longer Fox, I think we could actually see more rated R movies because they said that they were open to doing rated R movies and them making it now that Ryan Reynolds actually said 
uh, went over to Marvel and made the deal with Marvel and um, well with Disney and everything shows that they're actually meaning what they say because before I remember doing a couple of reports a while back where they weren't sure what to do with Deadpool. He was pretty much like the stepchild that nobody really knew what to do with or the parents that are going out of town is like, well, what are we going to do with our kid? I don't know. Uh, let's see if the neighbors will take him. Nope, the neighbors don't want him. Okay, well, why don't we go on ahead and see if Nancy or down the street will go on ahead and take him. No, Nancy doesn't. is busy with her family. So it's like they didn't know what to do with Deadpool. And the fact that they got a meeting with Ryan and told them told him that we're still going to keep the R-rated flavor to that makes me very happy. I'm excited for it because that's what made Deadpool successful. And also, too, Ryan Reynolds also knows who the what the character is. He fought tooth and nail to get Deadpool to where it's at and to see it disappear and be a PG-13 type of movie. I wouldn't want to see that. But still, I think it could actually work as a PG-13 movie, but... I'd rather see it as an R-rated movie rather than a PG-13 movie. I still say, too, that you can actually make rated R-type movies with the Marvel movies. All you would have to do is make a Marvel Night Studio and put all your rated R movies, characters, into one little shared universe. You can even put Luke Cage in there. You can put The Punisher in there. You can put Jessica Jones in there. You can make... uh, Let's see, Ghost Rider in there if you wanted to. You can put all those little R-rated characters into one thing and make one huge Marvel Night Studio. And you can make a TV series out of them or you can make movies out of them. And I think that would be pretty cool if they actually went down that route that they can actually do. But still, I'm like I said, I'm just a guy on a show making a podcast. I don't have any creative control over that. That's just something that I think that would actually be pretty cool. But, hey, hopefully one day in the future, maybe that might actually happen. I've always wanted a Marvel Knights movie, so maybe I might actually get one. And then, will A Quiet Place be just as good as Part 1, as the first one? To be honest with you, I don't know. I haven't seen the script. I haven't seen the movie yet. So it's kind of hard to dictate if it's going to be just as good as the first one. But... This is like this is how I keep an open mind. I don't try and judge a movie based off of what I saw from the first movie. I put everything that was from the first movie to the side, and I view a movie based off of what I see from the movie that I'm watching. And then I don't do any comparison. I watch it for what it is. And if I like the second one, I'm gonna love the second one. And if I'm gonna, and then I'll go on ahead do my review on it. And that'll be it. I don't say, I'm not going to sit there and say, well, I like this better than this other one because of this, this, and this. But, you know, it's hard to actually do that sometimes. But in this case, I might actually, I might do it. I don't know yet. It's just hard to tell if this movie's going to be good. But Rashid also asked, too, best horror Netflix series or movies? Okay, I was watching a Netflix show called Slasher. Slasher was an anthology film revolved around different slash uh, with slasher type of vibes to it, and I love the anthology idea. I like the first season uh, season where it's dealing with a serial killer that takes place on Halloween. I like that idea, and then the daughter actually has to go home, go uh, go back to her home, and everything where 
the murder actually took place and she moves into that home and then all of a sudden the murders start coming back up again and comes to find out the is dealing with the seven deadly sins and you're trying to figure out who's the actual killer while the killer who killed her family's in jail and figuring out why he cut her open on that Halloween night uh, while she was in her mother's womb because she was a baby and he was holding her in her arms. So it makes you wonder on that mystery aspect. So that part, season one was good. Season two was dealing with these camp counselors who wind up killing another camp camp counselor over something stupid petty and they bury the body. They go back 10 years later to the same place and now it's some type of it's not even a resort anymore it's just this little peace loving group of people that have a dark past and they are also running a kind of a hotel type of thing <coughs> and then these group of people that killed the girl goes um, goes and tries to find the body and next thing you know it everybody even in the that had nothing to do with it um with that girl dying, winds up getting killed over something. But I like that season. I like the first two seasons. Their season's dealing with homosexuality and people um, getting murdered because of their home being homosexual. And that's just not something that I dug. So I, I checked out on that show altogether because of that, because I don't believe that they should have made a sh- uh, a thing related to a show where a slasher's killing homosexual homosexuals or people being gay. I just don't think that was, I don't think that was called for. So I clocked out on the third season on that one. But as far as the best horror movie goes or best show to watch, I'm still going to put down Stranger Things and it has perfect horror, horror fantasy type of thing to type of feel to it and has an et kind of flavor to it mixed in with some stephen king you have everything you have relatable characters that takes place in the 80s you have 80s music you have all this stuff that you can actually relate to and has that nostalgia factor to it you have like a Dungeons and dragons type of thing in the first season that you can actually remember playing magic the gathering with your friends or dungeons and dragons i'm spending for hours uh, in somebody's house just playing <clears throat> board top games and that's just something that is not done anymore everything's based off of video games and stuff like that where people hang out don't get me wrong i love playing video games and stuff like that and I, even as a kid but there was always something about having a deck of cards or playing De- dungeons and dragons against your friends and trying to take that and try and do a campaign with dungeons and dragons and that's just my thing. I like Dungeons and Dragons. I like Magic the Gathering. Doing a playing with different types of fantasy decks. I always played with a green and white deck, and then I also had a sliver deck, which is like a multicolored deck. <coughs> but anyways, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just ignore me. I'm kind of geeking out a little bit. But that's what I recommend. And then I know I just got done reviewing this, and even though it's not hard in a sense. But it does have some type of horror flavor to it, if you think about it, especially when you're dealing with a 10-year-old or a 10-year-old kid with superpowers and he sees this big old huge storm that looks like a human and killing people and he has to figure out a way to take this thing down. Yeah, it can be kind of horrifying. It kind of has like a horror fantasy type of, uh, horror fantasy sci-fi type of feel to it. 
So, Raising Dion is something I recommend. I can't really uh, recommend uh, Hell House, I think it's called, or something like that. I forgot the name of that original show on Netflix, but I tried watching it. I just couldn't get into it. But, hey, if you guys like that show, no, hey, like I said, it's all you. You like it, you like it, you like what you like. I'm not going to tell you what you like, can like, and can't, I'm not going to tell you what you shouldn't like. All movies, all TV shows, all mu- music and stuff like that is subjective. It can't be measured. So anyways, that's going to do it for me for tonight. My voice is kind of going out. My sinuses are kind of acting up. So anyways, if you love the show, please share it with other people. I'm actually going to be doing an interview with a couple of independent, uh, uh, independent director and also an independent actress on Friday at around 7 o'clock Central Time. It's not going to be a live show. It's th- this whole entire podcast is not live. But I'll have that uploaded as soon as I'm done interviewing them. And I would like to actually see what some of y'all's feedback is after I wind up interviewing them. Because this is just something I'm excited about. I'm geeked out over. I'm psyched about it. I can't wait to interview them. So, I'm at, and uh, I hope that you guys actually enjoy the interview whenever I do it. So, until for, until next time. Bye-bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.